I'm not a big fan of the gloves in terms of like stripping, you know, these little like sort of sun gloves or lightweight gloves. I feel like you can't touch, you can't feel as well as you need. And while it might save you from um, some sort of like uh, burn from the fly line, um, I don't think it's worth that. That sort of uh, protection is not worth the feeling that you get from being able to strip or feel, you know, a fish. That was Sim Watley talking about some of the gear you won't be seeing in the duck camp lineup this year. Another classic founder story today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Want to give a quick shout out to our member supported uh, podcast group. If you want to keep the lights on, head over to wetflyswing.com slash members and check out what we have going there. This is going to get you to a link where you can check out um, our partnership with Glow. Glow FM is providing a great way to provide some bonus content if you want to sign up for a very low uh, monthly or annual fee. Thanks in advance if you are a member. Sim Watley, founder of Duck Camp, is here to shed some light on their outdoor clothing products. We find out how it all got started in the Middle East with Sim, how his business, uh, some of the stuff he had going was started over there. And uh, we also talk about why uh, he doesn't like the convertible short pants, something I, I still wear, but uh, got called out a little bit there on it today. And uh, we also get nerdy with the uh, merino wool and some of the lightweight gear they have going. So it's another fun one. Plenty of great gear uh, topics today. Without further ado, here is Sim Watley from DuckCamp.com. How's it going, Sim? It's going good, Dave. How about yourself? Good, good. Great to have you on here. I'm looking forward to for chatting a little bit about some of the stuff you have going. Um, we chatted a while back in in the duck camp. Uh, I I used to love duck uh, duck hunting back in the day before I had kids and got a little too distracted. But I'm hoping to to get back into it. I, I did want to touch on you know a little bit of that, a little bit of you know your fishing background. But can you just talk about how you first got into uh, fly fishing? Yeah, sure. Um, so me personally, um, I grew up in Louisiana, uh, and, and grew up hunting and fishing, um, quite a bit, but after college I spent, and most of that growing up as a, in my, in my younger years was just conventional, um, uh, sort of spin and bait casting type fishing, um, mostly inshore. Uh, but then after college I moved overseas for about 10 years and I lived in the middle East and, um, and I got introduced by a friend, uh, there actually, um, in the, the Persian Gulf to, to fly fishing. And when I moved back to Louisiana and to the U S kind of early 2014, um, just kind of went down to my local fly shop and, um, and, and kind of got the, the first setup and, uh, started practicing in the park and, um, you know, Louisiana and, and we were living in new Orleans at the time, you know, being so, close to such a great fishery, uh, 45 minutes basically to, um, to like a world-class red, redfish fishery, um, and others, uh, was kind of a great spot for me to sort of, uh, learn and, uh, continue to learn. Nice. And what was the, uh, the middle East? How, how'd you find yourself over there? Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I grew up in Louisiana. I went to LSU, uh, kind of having lived for 21 or so years, uh, mostly in the same city, apart from a few little adventures, um, just felt like I needed to, uh, kind of get out and, and, uh, carve my own path and, and had an opportunity to, to do kind of a sales type 
role. I studied finance uh, in college, but um, with the desire to to sort of go see the world a little bit, took a sales job and got sent to to the Middle East of all places. And so I uh, spent some time in Kuwait and Jordan and Abu Dhabi, uh, and then ultimately landed in Dubai after about a year of uh, that job. Um, and a buddy and I had an idea to start. At the time, there was um, only like newspaper classifieds. Um, so if you wanted to buy a car or a couch or find a job, you would have to go down to the, the little local um, convenience store and, and buy a newspaper and, and flip through. And it's kind of like going back in time 20 or 30 years. And um, we realized that there was an opportunity there to, to maybe uh, start you know, a Craigslist type uh, service, uh, online classifieds for the Middle East. And so we had that idea and uh, we were young at the time and super naive and <laughs> thought uh, that we could do it. And uh, I think we were 24 when we, when we started it. And one thing led to another and 10 years went by. So um, we spent, you know, some, some good, a good chunk of our, of our mid twenties, early thirties uh, in the Middle East, but um, wouldn't really, wouldn't really trade it for anything. No kidding. And was that time, I'm just thinking back, not knowing, I always think when I think of Middle East, you just think of the wars and stuff like that. But were you, you know, there during that time or what was that like? We were there. Yeah. Uh, so we moved there in 2005. Um, so the Iraq war was still going on and, um, and, or, you know, we were still, the U S still had a presence there and, uh, Afghanistan and, um, you know, Dubai is a, is a sort of a, uh, very insulated sort of, uh, unique, um, place in the, within the Middle East. Um, it's, it's population is maybe 20%, uh, local and 80% expatriate. Mm. Uh, and it also, uh, really attracts a lot of the investment from, uh, the Arab world. So, um, it's a super safe place. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they have their own investments there. And so they have no, no, um, reason to to kind of mess that up and then because of the really diverse communities there it's it's a pretty dynamic place and um and you know you can kind of see what they've been able to build you know from from the desert uh in 20 years is pretty impressive as well wow it's amazing yeah that's uh, so i'm sure yeah like you said you know it's probably directed and helped guide some of the some of the path you're on now and so so you come back to the u.s and then you pick up fly fishing at your local fly shop. What, what was the, is that local fly shop still there? Is there a name for that shop? Unfortunately not. Like, like a lot of, um, independently owned fly shops. Um, it shut down a couple of years after I moved there. It was, it was called Uptown Angler. Uh, and it was right in the, in the CBD of new Orleans and had been there for a while. Um, uh, but yeah, um, bought a little skiff and, and, uh, just kind of self-taught a little bit and, and still, by no means an expert, um, but, but like to get out there and, uh, you know, get stuck on a low tide and <laughs> try and catch some fish every now and again. Nice. Nice. Well, we're going to dig into, uh, you know, obviously some of the fishing and you guys have a bunch of apparel, a bunch of great stuff for fishing, but, um, I want to hear about the duck camp because I think, you know, obviously you hear the name duck camp. Um, you know, you don't think of fly fishing right away, but describe, um, I haven't really been to a duck. I mean, is there like, take us to the duck camp itself. Like, you know, what is that when you go out there hunting? How is that different from say, uh, different types of, uh, places you might go or different types of species you might be hunting for? Yeah. So the brand name, you know, there is duck camp. Um, you know, it has duck in it, which is a quite a specific, um, type of hunting, but what we were trying to go for with the name was, 
was and unfortunately there's not like a universal name for these places that you go um but you know some people might call it fish camp or deer camp or quail ranch or duck camp um but we were what we were trying to evoke i think with the name is the emotion of uh getting out of the city going to uh a place that's um off the beaten path maybe um on the water or in the woods and that excitement of kind of packing that bag for a long weekend to, to go down the dirt road, to, to kind of check out and to spend time, um, either chasing fish or chasing animals or just in generally, um, with friends and family, you know, in the outdoors. And so we landed on duck camp because, um, I felt like, you know, that was a passion of mine and, and of, of many, um, uh, there was, there is an excitement around the duck camp that I experienced as a kid, um, which is just that it's, it's, um, it's a place where friends and family go. Uh, there's a lot of jokes and, and tall tales that are told. There's a lot of good food and, and some drinks involved. There's a, usually a bonfire. Um, and so the hunt or the fishing experience, um, it sort of is the center of it, but it's, but by no means is it, is it all of it. And so we were trying to create a brand that was about, about everything about um about you know tying flies or training dogs or you know tuning up your boat you know the the sort of the things that go in before the activity um uh, then the activity itself whether it's you know chasing tailing reds or uh hunting ducks or um you know going after whitetail uh and so in that experience experience and, and having apparel for that and then and then additionally, like the celebration and the cleanup and, um, you know, the food and the drinks and, and the jokes and, and all of that sort of stuff. So by choosing the name Duck Camp, we were, we were really just trying to evoke that e- emotion of, of that place that you go to, to kind of um, reset and, and get back to nature. Yeah, that's awesome. And it, it totally resonates. I mean, I think you guys pretty much hit it on the head because, you know, even though you hear Duck Camp, you know, the duck. I mean, I, I think of elk camp, you know what I mean? Like I, that's exactly yeah. what I think of. I think of elk camp. It's this place where once a year, uh, well, we haven't been in a few years because the hunting has kind of gone downhill a little bit, but you know, it was like once a year, we all, the whole family got together and it's like, okay, elk camp, you know, we're going there. We all know what it meant. It was a huge thing every year. So I, I totally, I think you guys nailed it with that. Yeah. And it could be any, you know, it could be a lodge that's, you know, you're sort of one, um, you know, treat to yourself every year where it's like, you know, five star, or it could be a single wide trailer in the middle of the woods. But I think that that emotion is the same regardless of, of that, of that, um, structure or, um, or how nice it is or, or how rustic it is. But it's like that feeling of, um, going out there getting out there uh, and spending time, um, in the woods and, and with friends and family. Nice. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about just the, you know, the gear you guys have. I mean, and maybe with a focus here on the fly fishing and kind of fishing apparel. I know you guys have a bunch sure. of different, uh, you know, I ha- actually haven't uh, worn any of your stuff. But I mean, from the looks of it and from the, you know, from the, the reviews and things like that, looks like pretty killer stuff. Um, you know, when you when you search uh, fly, you know, fishing apparel, I think like Columbia Sportswear and Huck. Right. Those. And I'm not even that familiar with Huck, but those Columbia, I know really well. They come up right. They've got the lightweight pants and stuff like that. Can you talk about what you guys have in your line and maybe how it might be a little bit different than some of the other uh, brands, maybe some of those other bigger ones that are out there? Sure. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, I think it's important to remember that we're, we're pretty young still. We've been trying to, um, to roll out new products, uh, pretty quickly as a young brand, but this is really our only, this is our second, uh, spring fishing sort of line, um, that we're, that oh, we've nice. launched and, and it, it launches today. Uh, and, and this year is, is more significant and bigger than last year's and, and next year's we're already, um, have planned and, uh, it's going to be really exciting as well. Um, you know, we were going for, you know, our sort of, um, qualities that we go for are versatility, uh, and comfort, um, you know, across all different, um, different, uh, environments and, and conditions. And so, you know, you'll see pieces that we make that are just as comfortable, you know, on the airplane to the Bahamas as they are at the bar, as they are on the bow of the boat. And so, you know, this season we have, um, you know, what we call our signature fishing shirt and short sleeves and long sleeves. It's a, a super lightweight and uh, soft um, nylon material. And, and we prefer nylons over polyesters. We feel like a poly, you know, the traditional sort of what you mentioned, Columbia PFG shirt uh, yeah. and, and all of the, all the other shirts that kind of came on the back of those are typically a hundred percent polyester, um, which, um, in our opinion, doesn't breathe as well as nylon and can feel sort of plasticky and can sometimes sort of stick to your skin. Um, and you know, there's, there's a few sort of issues that we had with that as a fabric. So we kind of went back to basics or we went back to the drawing board, I guess, and, and looked at hundreds of other fabrics, um, in terms of composition and, and weight. And, um, and so what we've settled on with our signature fishing shirt is a is a really lightweight. It's got a little bit of stretch to it, which helps with mobility and, and uh, casting and that sort of stuff. And it's super soft on the skin. Um, and it's just kind of a classic sort of style. Um, so anyway, we do those in a couple solids, a couple plaid, short sleeve, long sleeve. Uh, we've got drifter pants, again, a nylon material that's quick drying. Uh, we do those in shorts and pants um, in a couple colors. Uh, we, we have our, what we call our scout shorts, which are, uh, sort of a liner it's got a liner in it so it sort of doubles as like a swim short again kind of versatility wise like if you want to jump out the boat and wade for a bit or uh, if you end up finding a swimming hole somewhere along the river where you're at you know it, it's kind of doubles as um, swim short slash fishing short slash everyday short um, got a great line of, of ultralight rain jackets you know we feel like we felt like the market was kind of lacking a lot of rain wear is kind of that heavy duty either insulated or at least like, uh, bomb proof, heavy duty jackets, which, um, you know, as the weather warms up, uh, are sometimes hard to wear. So ours is super lightweight, uh, three layer, really high waterproof ratings and breathability, but packs into its own pocket and kind of can, can stuff down into your bag and be there whenever you need it. Um, we had a few insulating pieces that we added to to the line this season. One we call the head guide hoodie, which is a, just a pullover half zip hoodie, which is super cozy and, and comfortable. Um, keeps you warm, you know, on, on those boat rides out. Um, but has like a, a DWR, which is like a durable water repellency sort of finish to the outside of it. And a, it's a Cordura nylon. So it's, it'll, you know, it'll take a beating and still look good. Um, got some down products, um, dry, dry down. So it's, uh, been treated to, uh, insulate even when wet and keep its loft so it's it's kind of waterproof down as well as the the fabric itself is um water repellent uh so um you know if you get wet you know boat spray or you fall in the river or whatever uh, it'll continue to 
keep you warm. And so we do those in vests and jackets. Yeah, I feel like I'm just rambling on, but you know, we have a, a bunch of bamboo products as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the bamboo because I think, um, you know, there's a few materials that the nylon, I think that's a really interesting thing to talk about the difference between nylon versus some of the other more plastic type materials, but also bamboo. Mm -hmm. So why, what are the advantages of bamboo say over a nylon and why would you want to go with one or the other? So we use bamboo in our knits. So we sort of characterize, uh, knits versus wovens. Uh, so a woven is your typical sort of like, you know, shirt, button up shirt material, whereas a knit, uh, is more of like your t-shirt material. So for wovens, we use nylon and it's much more common to use that, um, that, that fiber, uh, to, to weave into a woven. Uh, whereas on the knit side, you know, we choose bamboo over say, uh, you can do polyester, um, t-shirts you can do cotton yeah um we, we find that the the hand feel and the comfort level of bamboo is just uh kind of second to none um when you when you put that shirt on it's it's just super soft and super comfortable um so yeah. we blend our bamboo with uh, we have two different weights one of them we blend with polyester so it's like 65 or 67 percent bamboo and, and the rest polyester. So the polyester helps it to dry faster in case it gets wet and, and lightens it up a little bit. But the majority of the fabric is still that that viscose of bamboo. Uh, and then another weight that we do, which is a little uh, heavier, we call original weight, uh, we blend with cotton. And that's more of a, you know, you're not going to be around the water much. Um, it's it's more of an everyday uh, sort of sort of blend. Um, but but people just love it. I mean, once you, once you have some bamboo yeah. shirts in your closet, uh, it's hard to go back to kind of that hundred percent cotton. I agree. Yeah, no, I, and I've got a couple of bamboo things that are, yeah, they just, they feel they're softer. It's, it's kind of way better all around this, you know, and obviously we're talking about the fishing apparel, but you guys have a huge line of hunting as well. And I'm not sure how much time we're going to have to dig into that, but I'm curious, you know, as you talk about this, it sounds like you're very knowledgeable about all the different types of fabrics. So how did you get into the clothing, you know, and then why, why not different types of the outdoor market? You know, why not accessories? How, how did, how it sounds like you become an expert in the clothing. How'd that come to be? Yeah. Uh, I didn't have a background in it, but I've had a lot of good, um, you know, I've tried to educate myself using, you know, good resources and people that are, you know, really experienced here. Um, and a lot of it just comes to kind of diving into it I, you know in the early days i would visit uh, a big trade show trade show called outdoor retailer um, and they have a huge sort of sourcing uh side of that of that show where um they have hundreds of you know fabric uh mills and factories that sort of come from all over the world to kind of present everything that they make and you can you can spend hours just kind of going from booth to booth talking to people and touching and feeling things and sort of uh and then going back and researching you know this versus that um you know taking a lot of inspiration from you know the outdoor industry in general i think that hunting specifically and and maybe some fishing as well um has been overlooked over the years in terms of like an outdoor category um there's been a lot more innovation and a lot more um attention spent on say rock climbing or alpine skiing or just generally camping um but not specifically looking at the activities of, of fishing and hunting so i think recently you've seen um you know, more, especially in the hunting, yeah. in the hunting scene, more brands sort of adapting or adopting, um, 
those modern fabrics and modern fits to, to hunt. Um, what we thought, you know, in, in general, you know, creating this brand, not only did we feel like there was an opportunity to speak to kind of, like I mentioned earlier, like the whole experience, but there haven't been a ton of brands or really any that you can think of, um, that have done hunt and fish, you know, equally well and with, uh, equal amount of attention. Um, and so even though the overlap, you know, the Venn diagram of our customer, uh, is like 80% does both activities. Um, so, you know, what's the, and, and the activities are similar. Typically it's, it's, um, it's time on a boat or it's time in the water or it's time around water, um, in the woods. And so, uh, we've also seen that as an opportunity to sort of speak to, um, those people that enjoy both activities and, um, and, and kind of making products that are versatile across, across both as well. You know, a lot of our products that we make, you know, we do in camos for certain environments, but then, you know, when spring comes around, we'll sort of, you know, reimagine or re, you know, reprint those, those products in, in more fishy colors, mm. you know, more lifestyle sort of stuff that yeah. sort of apply to, to fishing as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I agree. I think the, the hunting definitely, there's been more work done there, especially recently. I was just, gosh, just yesterday I was talking to somebody who had a pair of hunting boots. I think they said, I can't remember the name of the company, but they're like 550 bucks for a pair of hiking boots. You know what I mean? I was like, wow. Yeah. Now, I mean, I thought, I thought 300 was a good price to pay for a pair of boots, but so, I mean, you got these hunters out there that, you know, that they'll pay whatever. Um, I mean, fisherman I think is kind of similar, but, um, yeah, maybe the product line isn't quite as, uh, adept, but, for you guys, so you decided to go into both, uh, and obviously now you're kind of equally trying, or maybe you're a little bit more in hunting, but you know, why, why did you start off as hunting and then move into the fishing or did you start off from the beginning with both lines? We started off in the beginning, you know, wanting to approach both. Um, but because of the sort of seasonality of hunting, um, you know, like the seasons open on a certain day and close on a certain day, and it's sort of a finite amount of time that you can do that activity, we find that there's a little more excitement uh, around sort of, you know, it's kind of like Christmas morning to some <laughs> people for opening day of a certain season. So, you know, there's this buildup of excitement and anticipation towards those seasons, and then and then they're over. So we always knew that we wanted to do fishing, but we felt like that was like an opportunity that we could, that we could do secondary, but, but we didn't want to let too much time. We, we also understand and realize that the consumer will sometimes, you know, put you in a box and we'll have a hard time, you know, sort of allowing you out of that box. So, you know, we knew that early on. So within the first year of actually starting, we launched a few fishing products because we wanted to, to let the consumer know that like, that we were serious about both. But I think that we were a little, we, our product lines have grown a little faster within hunting, uh, than fishing, but I think that that's going to catch up, especially next spring. We have a, a bunch of really cool new products coming uh, for next spring. And, and I think that you'll start to see that the lines are kind of equal in terms of, and, and fishing is a year round thing. So yeah. that's another exciting thing, like to be able to, we kind of end up pushing fishing a bit more in the spring because it's a time off from hunting, but you know, I think as we grow that market, it'll be a year round sort of fishing and then, then hunting will kind of be, you know, during, during the hunting yeah, season. That makes sense. No, it's, that, that totally makes sense. Well, let's kind of take us back. You've mentioned a lot of your gear, but maybe we could talk about, 
you know, sit, let's say somebody's planning a trip to Belize or whatever, and they just mm. want, they don't have any gear and they just want to grab their pants or, you know, what would you, you know, for your stuff, what would you say they need to get? What are the, what's the line again? They need a pair of like kind of a lightweight pants. What are those called? Yeah. Um, so we, we, our pant short, um, style is called the drifter. Uh, so we do the drifter pants and shorts and the short is just obviously a shorter version of the pant. Um, it's a, it's a lightweight, uh, nylon that has a little bit of stretch to it, but not too much because sometimes when, when those fabrics get wet, uh, they get kind of saggy if they have too much elastic in them. And these aren't like the, the zip off, uh, pant shorts things. No. Yeah. And is that, what do you think of that? Because that used to be, and I still have those, um, I mean, what's your take on the zip? What is that? A, is that a good thing or it should just get a pair of one of each? Yeah. Um, the convertible shorts pants, I think that they had a time, but I think, um, I don't think that they are, uh, I think people are looking for something again, that's kind of versatile and, and a style that, that can yeah. cross over. And sometimes those pants kind of read, um, read a little bit, you know, uh, older, yeah. um, as an older crowd. Um, and I, I can't really tell, tell how many times I've seen someone actually convert. You know? <laughs> um, so, um, and it's a little bit cumbersome, you know, like, uh, so anyway, we, we've, we've kind of just, uh, done a short and a pant and a lot of people, you know, for sun protection and stuff, they, they want to wear pants on, on the, on the boat, you know, they want to wear long sleeves and hoods and, and buffs and, and, and pants, but, and that's great. Uh, the sun can definitely take its toll. Um, and then we do the short as well. And then, uh, so I would, I would, for Belize, I would pack, you know, a pair of, um, a pair of both, uh, but probably pants, you know, to protect from the sun. Um, I would, uh, I would have a couple bamboo hoodies, uh, in my bag, um, cause they're super comfortable and versatile and you can kind of use that hood again for sun protection. But I would have, you know, maybe, um, a couple of plaid, uh, button up shirts in there too, whether or not you want to fish in them or just kind of wear them after the, after the day, um, for the cocktail hour, uh, at the lodge, um, I'd have a few hats in there, obviously, uh, and I'd have a, a lightweight rain jacket because you just never know. And in, in kind of the Caribbean, you know, those little rainstorms mm-hmm. can come in pretty quick on you, um, and you just kind of want to be prepared. It helps also for like the boat rides out in the morning before the sun comes up, just kind of keep you a little bit protected, and then then you've got it in case yeah. in case any rain clouds come come about. You always have it, and and on that rain jacket, it's that's interesting because you know obviously. You know, rain, depending on where you're at, can be a can be annoying. But you know, you've got the Gore-Tex and you got different types of materials. What is your, what, you know, what do you guys have there? Because I've had some material that actually isn't Gore-Tex and it's more like it's not rubber, but it's super lightweight and it's like my favorite jacket. I'm not sure how what you guys yeah. work. Yeah, what you have there. Yeah, so you know, Gore is uh, is a name brand laminate and um, and waterproof sort of laminate that 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 they market. Um, there are hundreds of other laminates that you can get that just don't have the core name. So, you know, because of Gore's done a great job marketing themselves, um, and they make great products, um, you're quite familiar with their name, but what we've gone after in terms of our, so when they say three layer, that basically means you've got, uh, an exterior, uh, sort of shell layer. You've got, um, a middle layer, which is the laminate that provides the actual waterproofness and breathability and then you have this sort of next to skin layer um and so you can have everything from two layer two and a half layer three layer four layer it goes up to five layer Mm -hmm. like and so that just tells you how many 
pieces of material are sort of sandwiched together. Uh, and then for a product to be wa- truly waterproof, you know, all of the seams have to be seam sealed and taped and um, so that it doesn't allow you know, water to get in, you know, at the shoulder seam or at the, at the yoke seam. So, um, you know, we've, we've chosen a fabric that has a super high waterproof ability. It's like 10,000, um, waterproof. And, and that's a rating that says, um, you know, how much water, how much water pressure can this fabric take before it starts to leak? Um, and then there's a breathability measure that measures water vapor and, and how much water vapor can, mm-hmm. can actually come up through the fabric to breathe, uh, when you're wearing it. So, breathability factor rating is actually higher than the waterproof rating which is which is you know good for such a lightweight jacket you're not really trying to keep warmth in you're almost uh trying to keep you know water water off but you know some of that hot hot air out um and so you know we've we've chosen our fabric based on that um and it i think it would stand up to to any kind of gore fabric that you you would throw at it as well and uh, what's great about it is like the, uh, the, the next to skin fabric, which is really important. Um, especially if you're going to be wearing it with like a t-shirt, you know, a lot of these, you know, for a lightweight rain jacket, you have to think about what you're typically going to be wearing. And, um, and because it's warm out, you might just have a t-shirt on. Yeah. So to be able to throw a rain jacket on, that's like kind of like soft on the skin or really comfortable that's on huge. the skin for, for your forearms and all that sort of stuff. And it's not like sticky and, uh, is a real benefit. So, so ours just kind of feels great, um, to throw on, uh, next to skin as well. And, um, it keeps yeah. your bone dry. That's awesome. Yeah. It sounds like you got a killer jacket and that jacket is, um, I mean, that's pretty lightweight, so you can kind of roll it up and just toss in your, your hip pack or something like that. It's pretty, pretty small, pretty compact. Yeah. So one of the, one of the pockets, uh, kind of turns inside out and oh, you yeah. can pack it good and it has a reversible zipper. So it just packs into like, you know, a small little, pouch that you can there throw you into uh, any bag or whatever yeah. there you go and uh, yeah and going back to the short the, the short uh what a pant shorts i mean the funny thing about those is that they're actually not getting them off is easy but it's getting them back on which is always the hassle <laughs> you know what i mean you're like yeah. you know what i mean but um i think this is cool i mean it sounds like so you guys talking about the gear again just to wrap this up you've got you know a pair of pants a shirt uh, a waterproof jacket what about on the gloves and all that stuff do you guys are you planning on getting into that or do you have any of that the extra accessory stuff yeah we're, we're coming out with a couple of bags um next year not this year but like a kind of a, a waterproof uh boat bag you know that you can kind of get in and out of pretty quickly for fly storage and, and that sort of stuff um i don't know what i don't know if we're going to go down the like the sun glove you know I, I know that there's um there's definitely a need from the guide you know guys that spend a lot of time on the water like the the tops of their hands just get uh just hammered from the sun so you know from us I'm not a big fan of the gloves in terms of like stripping you know these little like sort of sun gloves or lightweight gloves I feel like you can't touch you can't feel as well as you need and while it might save you from um, some sort of like uh, burn from the fly line. Um, I don't think it's worth that. That sort of uh, protection is not worth the feeling that you get from being able to strip or feel, you know, a fish um, on your line or, or take the bite or or how hard to set the hook or you know all of that sort of stuff. So I'm just not personally a fan of like fishing gloves, but I do 
we are trying to think creatively about how to protect people's the tops of people's hands from the sun and still give them the dexterity and the the, the touch with their fingers. I, I think about the, um, I mean, the gloves, and obviously we're out here on the, in, you know, in the Northwest, so uh, it's a different, you know, a lot of the fishing we're doing uh, is a little bit colder, you know, but like the wool, like fingerless wool gloves, or if I had to go with one pair of gloves, I mean, it's like lightweight fingerless wool. It doesn't probably work on salt as well, but um, but I, I don't go anywhere without them. You know what I mean? It seems, you know, but they're fingerless, so you can touch your line, you can yeah. feel it, and it's funny when you think about it, even when it's freezing out, your tips of your fingers don't have to be covered as long as it's almost like your body, right? Your core needs to be covered with warmth, but your you know your extremities are okay. Um, let, let, let's dig in just quickly, you know, as we have a little time here into the hunting side because. You know, again, I, we talked about gearing up for your Belize trip, but what if you were gearing up for this this duck camp, um, you know, or whatever, elk camp, you know, somewhere where maybe it's a little colder? Do you guys cover that line as well? Yeah, uh, and we like to think of ourselves, you know, like there's nothing greater than going on a trip where you can do both. So, you know, there's, there's some great opportunities for you to, uh, in the south here, to go on a duck hunt for two days and then you know, on the afternoon of the second day or for the third day, like go chase redfish. Um, it's pretty much the same, um, environment, um, or go chase bass, you know, in the afternoon after your duck hunt. So, um, and then, you know, up North too, like, uh, I think you could, you could get after some fish on a river at the same time that you're, um, you know, especially like elk season in September. I mean, there's still some good flows and some good rivers that you mm-hmm. can do both. And there's definitely some upland hunts, you know, that, that we've looked into and, and that we know people have done, uh, for like chucker, yeah. uh, on the banks of, you know, rivers in Idaho. Uh, so you kind of like you're, you're floating down the river and, you're fishing and then you see some birds flushing and you kind of pull over and, and go chase them and, and then get back in the boat. So, yep. um, uh, you know, we love, we love getting after both of it, uh, on the hunt side. Yeah. We do have a few more, uh, insulated pieces. You know, we do a lot of Merino wool. Uh, so we've got, um, sort of our standard Merino wool, long underwear, um, tops and bottoms. We do a, uh, kind of a beefed up 350 gram, uh, weight, uh, hoodie, merino wool hoodie, um, that we call the barn burner, which is like super warm and and soft and comfortable. Um, we're coming out with the same weight fabric in some pants, um, for layering, uh, in the fall. Um, we do some, again, those down, same down products we do in the hunt, uh, side as well, just kind of printed in our camouflages. Um, so, you know, you can kind of layer from sort of merino wool, to, um, you know, maybe a, a heavyweight button up shirt to a down jacket or a merino wool hoodie to like, uh, outerwear, uh, rain jackets and rain pants. Um, you know, you can, you can be comfortable in everything from, you know, 80 degrees to down to, you know, 20, uh, 20 degrees, uh, be comfortable for a long sit. So, um, and it's growing, the line's growing, you know, this, this fall we're coming out with cool new products as well. You know, some products focused on whitetail and, uh, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's been good. Well, what is the, you know, just for somebody again, who's kind of new to it and you hear about the Merino wool, it's almost like the Gore-Tex sort of thing, but you know, what, what is the, how is Merino wool just different from just any wool? Uh, you know, can you describe that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, Merino is rated in terms of microns. And so they take, you know, Merino comes from a specific sheep. Um, and those sheep are, a lot of them are New Zealand, uh, Australia. Some of them are in, in, in China and Asia. 
but they take that specific, um, you know, wool from those specific sheep and then they, they bring it down, they, they clean it and then they process it and they bring it down to a certain of the fiber level at a certain micron. So even within Merino, there will be different qualities. And so you'll usually kind of look at if you're, you're looking specifically for it you'll be looking at the micron level um the weight and the micron level and so um the higher the micron the sort of the coarser that wool uh is going to be and also potentially you know merino is is generally a really soft wool Mm -hmm. but um but but in the higher numbers say 30 or 25 to 30 microns that's going to feel a little bit coarser and a little bit scratchier than say like a, a 20 or even an 18 uh, micron, um, which which just means that the fiber is, is even smaller um, so that it feels softer on the skin. And so, but as the weight of the fabric goes up, then the micron is, is maybe less important. So if you're wearing like a really lightweight wool with like coarse fibers, uh, you're going to feel that more than if you're wearing a heavier weight wool with those same coarse fibers just because the weight of the fabric sort of plays in. So anyway, uh, on our standard Merino wool base layers, we use a super small micron because it's a, it's a lighter weight wool. And so that has this sort of feeling. It doesn't have your traditional wool sort of scratchy. It, it feels like you're wearing, you know, um, or something. Yeah. Uh, super soft. And then the, the fact the, you know, the benefits of wool are that, you know, it's antimicrobial, so you can wear it for a week straight and it won't smell. Um, and Mm. it, uh, wicks moisture away from your body. Uh, so it has a natural wicking ability to sort of take sweat away from the body to the outside of the fabric. Um, and it insulates even when wet. So if you, if you do work up a sweat or say you get, you know, rained on or you fall in, fall in a river or something, uh, it's still, while it's not going to be as comfortable, obviously, if it, if it was dry, it still does insulate even when it's wet. So it's, it's got some great natural qualities to it. Um, and we, we're just really big fans of it. Gotcha. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. It sounds like your line, the more you talk about it, it sounds like your line is focused on, you know, comfort and I mean, everything seems like softer and obviously, mm-hmm. but, but it's made for the, the environment as well. So in the hunting line, um, you guys have enough to keep you warm out there if you are going into some, some colder conditions, but at the same time, it's just like layering, layering, right? You kind of choose your gear and, and have different, um, sets of layers. What about the pattern on this stuff you guys use? I know you've obviously patterns. I'm not a big hunter. I'm actually more of a deer hunter and elk hunter. So I'm, I'm more shooting across the Canyon, you know, long shots. So I'm more interested in sure. orange so I don't get, so I'm seen by others, but you know, how I know that's important to some hardcore hunters, especially like bow hunters and stuff like that. The pattern, how do you guys, you know, work on it? How do you get the right pattern and how do you compare that to say some of these companies? Is it more, um, kind of blown up? Like you don't need to worry that much about it. Yeah. So, I mean, camouflage patterns have, have also really changed in the last 10 years or so. And I think that there was a, uh, a huge amount of stick and leaf sort of, mm-hmm. uh, photo realistic camos for a really long time. You know, the, the real trees and mossy yep. oaks of the world. Um, and I think there's been some development in terms of understanding how animals see, um, in terms of their color palettes, as well as the shapes that they see, the shape of their eyes, um, that there's been some more understanding in terms of, you know, what helps 
to distract or to blend in to that animal um, since they don't see the same way that we see. Um, and so that means that you don't have to look like the tree you're standing mm-hmm. next to per se. You just have to blend in um, in a way that 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 their eyes can't see. Um, and so we've sort of taken some of that science uh, and applied them to our camouflage patterns. We have you know, three basic environments that we make a pattern for. You know, one is um, we call wetland, and that is, you know, for uh, real open, uh, either flooded agriculture or marshes. Um, it's, you know, there's not a lot of trees. It's really exposed to the sun. It's, you know, and typically we promote that pattern for sort of duck hunting where, mm-hmm. you know, the perspective of the of the animal is from above looking down on sort of um, broken broken land, flooded flooded areas, water and mixed land sort of. Um, and so it's kind of splotchy. It's got some contrast of darks to lights. It has, you know, so so the science is sort of that the contrast between dark and and light creates shadows for the for the eye. And then there's usually some sort of micro pattern on top. And that creates some sort of distraction of maybe something in the foreground. So you kind of like sink in with the shadows, you sort of sink back. And then with the micro, you know, sort of pattern on top, you sort of, it sort of creates a distraction for the eye. And so we have that wetland pattern that's meant for that environment. We have what we call a woodland pattern, which is meant for being sort of in the trees, uh, in the canopy. Um, and the perspective of that animal is, is, could be from a different, different, you know, it could either be a white tailed deer or an animal and you might be elevated like up in the tree and they might be looking up at you um, or it might be from birds coming into the trees or turkeys on the ground and you're on the ground so it's it's been thought of you know from a few different perspectives and a few different animals but in generally it's a more vertical pattern that blends in well I mean, typically to conceal yourself it's, it's common to sort of be up against the tree and so there's natural patterns there to like tree bark being more vertical and it still has that that contrast of darks and lights um, and some micro patterns on top. And then our third environment is what we call midland, which is which is sort of that high uh, desert or brush brushy country. You know, it's it's good yeah. from everywhere from like West Texas all the way up through Wyoming, Montana, you know, Idaho, where it's like um, it's a mix of desert. rocks and, and yeah. brush and desert and um, and so that. Um, that sort of pattern has been kind of developed for those environments. That's cool. Yeah. sounds like you, you guys have thought, obviously thought this over a little bit. Uh, you cover a little bit of everything that that's cool. Okay. So, well, it seems like we've, uh, you know, have we kind of covered things pretty well on, on your, your guys's line? I know, you know, you've got a bunch of stuff going on. Anything else you want to kind of give a shout out to before we start to head out of here? Um, no, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's, you know, an honor to be asked to be, to be, you know, included on the podcast. We know you have a, a great following. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, we we can't spend an hour talking about steelhead because <laughs> we're not we're not huge steelhead guys. But yeah. um, uh, but we do we do enjoy uh, your part of the world. Um, you know, spent a, a few trips to Alaska and mm-hmm. um, chasing fish up there, and um, and so yeah, I mean, yeah, um, we love what you're doing, and, and we really appreciate you know, being, being asked to be on it, um, and being able to tell our story. That's cool. Yeah. It's kind of, it's really interesting. I've been doing a lot of work recently looking at some of the, 
you know, analytics and seeing where all of our people or, you know, everybody out there is coming from. And we've got a, a kind of a group, a members group and stuff like that. And it's really interesting when you, it's almost like the, um, you know, the, the political, right. The blue and red states sort of thing, which is kind of funny, but obviously we got a bunch on the West coast, but there's also a bunch on the East coast, right. New York, Pennsylvania, mm. great lakes. Um, but as I look at it, I mean, we literally have listeners in every state of the country and, 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 all, and many countries around the world. Right. And that's the amazing thing. Like you said, we got people in the middle East that listen. So it's, ex- cool. it's exciting for me because I know, and that's why I love having folks like yourself on here because obviously there's people in your neck of the woods that listen just not as many as probably out in the northwest and we hope to keep growing this thing um you know as we go and the cool thing is is that we did start out with a good focus on steelhead but we have a whole season on destinations and we had a you know and we're going to go back to that as well especially as we do more of these trips around the uh around the country and stuff. So yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I I think your stuff for sure. We're going to, I know people are going to stop by and check it out because, um, you know, you've painted a good picture of the bamboo merino wool. I understand better why you want that stuff. And, and, you know, it's obvious when you put it on the craps, the crappy stuff, when you put on, it's obvious because you're right. It feels like plastic. If it doesn't feel like plastic right away, eventually it does. Um, but yeah, um, but cool. Hey, one, one, uh, Sim, before we get out of here, you know, we have a lot of businesses that also listen to this, a lot of companies that are, you know, some are new, some are old, but what would you give them? I mean, it seems like you guys are doing really well out there. Uh, you're doing awesome on Instagram and stuff like that. Would you have a, like a, a tip, like maybe a, a small business tip for somebody to, to help somebody, you know, if they're just getting into it to help them grow in the outdoor space? I know, and I, I, I kind of put you on the spot there, so I, I, I know that's not always an easy one. But it just seems like for you guys, you're doing you're doing a really good job. What's what are you doing that's working so well for you? Yeah, um, you know, I think in this space, I mean, a lot of people will talk about authenticity, but I think yeah. that in especially in the hunt and fish space, like it's impossible to uh, to garner any real um, following without being authentic. Um, it's, you know, people can see, especially with like things as specific as fly fishing or, you know, bow hunting, uh, people will spot, um, things that aren't authentic immediately and, and, uh, it's hard to come back from that. So, you know, being, picking something that you are passionate about and that you don't have to be an expert in it, but you just have to, you know, be humble and, you know, for things that you don't know well, um, just be honest about it and then, uh, and show your passion and authenticity in the space that you're really, um, interested in. Um, yeah. you know, and as an entrepreneur, you know, it's, you know, what I've, what I've been able to find success in is finding people, you know, getting people excited about my idea that are smarter than me and better than me at, <laughs> um, at the things that, that are going to, you know, make us successful. So you don't have to be, you know, I know it's tough in the early days, like especially with a startup, you know, when you don't have a lot of money and you're still trying to get something off the ground, but, but you don't have, you know, being a generalist is good. But then once you can, once you can kind of take a, take a breath and, you know, get your head up, um, uh, finding the people that are going to be like the real experts within the different parts of your business that are important is like the next step. Um, uh, because you, you no know one expects you to be able to do it all. Uh, and, um, uh, and so, yeah, yep. I guess that would be my, my advice. Totally. That's a cool tip. And we didn't even dig into today into your group. Maybe you can just give us a, a, a short little less than a minute on your team there. Are you guys like a, a, a small little uh, tight group or who, who, who do you have there that we, we should know about? 
Yeah, so we've we've been growing. Uh, I think right now we're fourteen. Oh wow! Um, so it's, it's a decent sized team. Uh, you know, a year ago, if we would have had this call, I think we would have been more like uh, six or seven. Wow, that's um, amazing. So, um, yeah, and uh, we've, we're talking. We've got some roles that we're looking at to hire as well. So uh, that that should grow again. Um, but um, but yeah, we've got a great, strong team. I think you might have talked to James Elledge uh, uh-huh. at some point, kind of setting this up. You know, he he handles a lot of our brand marketing and uh, ambassadors and conservation. You know, that's something that we're we're about to kick off, which we're excited about. We've just been approved by two percent for conserva- conservation, so uh, we're committing to two uh, percent of all sales, um, either in cash or in kind, to conservation. And uh, we've got some cool product cool uh projects coming on with with right now we actually today we launched um uh, a collab or a um sort of a uh, kickoff with trout unlimited where uh if you order a certain um amount of product you get a one-year annual subscription to trout unlimited um and so we've got some other things in the works with for conservation so um Mm. yeah that's awesome that's all. What what was just quickly on the conservation? Because um, what I mean, you've got there's a couple of these groups out there that are doing awesome stuff. But was it what was that process like getting uh, accepted for the two percent for conservation? Yeah, so James uh, led that, and I think it was it was relatively um, straightforward. I mean, from what I I wasn't involved in, yeah. in the details of it, but it took him about a, a month or so to kind of get that approval. And now we've we can use that logo on everything and. Our goal is to sort of put, not to choose like maybe one uh, organization, but to kind of, um, kind of yeah. have that in a in an account, and we can do like two or like different projects throughout the year uh, with different organizations that because we sort of focus on a lot of different things, everything from turkey to ducks to deer to yeah, um, exactly, you know, tarpon to, to so trout. Much. You know, like we want to be able to use, you know, those funds to help different organizations based on you know sort of um, our, our seasons. Um, but you know, one thing that we're adding to that conservation sort of angle is like this, you know, a lot of, a lot of brands have these ambassador programs. Um, what we're going to, what we're hoping to do with our ambassador program is it to to be more in line with our conservation efforts. So it's not like just an ambassador because they're, you know, some super pro guide and like to wear our stuff, but it's, it's someone that cares about uh, the conservation of the species that they target the most and is kind of willing to to kind of also spend time and energy helping to promote uh, the conservation of that. So we're going to choose, you know, redfish guides that, you know, have a voice and, and speak out for uh, protecting the coastal environment. We're going to speak to, you know, deer hunters who are big advocates for deer management. Um we're going to, you know, sort of yeah. along the way, we're going to have ambassadors that, that want to use that um, sort of position to help us to uh, draw attention to conservation within their within their specialties and, and hopefully raise some money and do some cool projects along the way to, to kind of promote that. Amazing. Hey, uh, and, and one quick round. I love to ask this sometimes when I have time, a random one for you, but uh, music. Uh, what what do, you, do you have a uh, like a favorite type of music or band or something you want to give a give a shout out to? Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like my playlist has been kind of stagnant over the last couple of years, yeah, but you know, I was too. a huge John, John Prine fan. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and, and his one year anniversary of his death was like a, a couple of days ago. So, oh, wow. um, you know, he, you know, he unfortunately, you know, got COVID and passed yeah. away. And, uh, but he's a, 
he's a great musician, you know, um, personally, my morning jacket doesn't get much better than that. Um, and we like this sort of like alternative country, you know, although Sturgill Simpson would probably not agree with that title. Oh yeah. Uh, people like Sturgill and, yep. and Tyler Childers and Willie Nelson and, um, you know, being in Texas, uh, yeah, we, we tend to tend to lean <laughs> a little country <laughs> on some of our stuff. Where but, are you guys uh, at? Where are you guys at in Texas? We're based in Austin. Texas. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're right in the heart of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. You guys are that. That's the thing. I, I always think occasionally when I have the, the Texas, uh, folks and, it just seems like, I mean, why is Austin, is that why it is? It's just more diverse or why, is, why do you always hear Austin is so unique in Texas or, or is it, are there some other places around Texas that are similar? No, it's, it's definitely uh, yeah. unique for Texas. Um, you know, every city has its little kind of stereotype, but, um, but I think, you know, the university of Texas here has really done a great job of, of keeping it diverse. Oh, right. Uh, you know, Texas has had this program for a long time where, the top 10% of, uh, every high school in Texas, um, you know, gets admissions to, to the university of Texas. So oh, wow. it draws from, from every, like from little, little high schools and small towns to big high schools and, and big cities. But it really brings a great diversity of people to, That's to cool. sort of to Austin. And then, um, people from out of state come as well. And so, and it's a big school, it's like 50,000 oh, kids. Wow. So, you know, every every year you've got this influx of just really smart, really really talented, um, diverse kids coming out of school that like that also love the city and and want to stick around. So, you know, they kind of create opportunities for themselves. Like if they can't find a job, you know, the the draw of Austin is so strong that they they'd rather like come up, you know, make something work for them just so that they can stay. So there's been a, a good amount of entrepreneurship that kind of has, has been on the back of that. Obviously brands like Dell, um, oh, right. have been uh, big proponents of that. And, and now you've got just tons of companies from California coming in to, to kind of set up shop here because of the talent availability. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's a cool. That's city. amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, I'll put a yeah just on the music. I love throwing a uh, a, a clip. Uh, either I don't know if it's John Prine or Willie or one of those. I'll put them in the show notes so somebody can listen to some stuff uh, after they finish cool. this episode up. And uh, cool, Sam. Well, this has been awesome. This has been a lot of fun. Um, you may have mentioned it, but in this next uh, six to twelve months, uh, anything new coming out for you guys, or you want to give want to highlight so, something coming up, or, or yourself personally. <laughs> No, I mean, we've got a lot of new stuff coming out. Um, you know, I would, um, if people are interested, you know, obviously they can follow us on Instagram, duckcampco, at duckcampco. Our website's duckcamp.com. Uh, you can sign up for email notifications. Uh, like I said, we've got, you know, we launched something actually, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but yeah. um, today, you know, the day that we're talking, we actually launched a, uh, some new fishing products and then we have another smaller launch that's coming out in about a week or so. So, um you know, we've, we've got a bunch of stuff coming, coming down the pipe. So, uh, we appreciate anybody kind of checking it out and, um, you know, appreciate your time as well, Dave. Perfect. Yeah. I'll, I'll put a link to, to all this we talked about in the, in the show notes and, and get, get some specific photos and stuff like that. So people can check you out. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks for all the time today. This has been, I mean, obviously I think I have a good perspective on it. You know, I think seeing it from Instagram, you get one perspective, which was good. But when you talk like this, this is where it really breaks it down. I appreciate you shedding some light on everything you guys are doing and yeah, looking forward to keeping in touch with you. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you very much. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links and everything else we covered today, just head over to wetflyswing.com slash two, two, eight. That's two twenty eight. 
Please take a moment and subscribe on your app of choice. This will assure that you get the next episode delivered right to your inbox. And the next episode you don't want to miss next week, next Tuesday morning, bright and early when you get up, is going to be Mike Schultz. Mike uh, breaks down smallmouth bass fishing. So um, he is definitely one of the leaders uh, in the country, uh, probably in the world, in smallmouth bass fishing. And he, he kind of walks us through a step-by-step process. So again, subscribe and you'll get that delivered right to your phone when you wake up. That's all I have for you. That's a wrap today. Uh, Looking forward to uh, keeping in touch with you. I hope uh, if you can, maybe send me an email, uh, join the newsletter, or just uh, just say hey, and uh, maybe we'll see you on the water or online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.